HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. With our growing season just around the corner, we're sowing seeds of knowledge and empathy on this week's episode of Meat and Three through four unique stories. I'm always shocked at how aggressive people are with their language. They'll have something like Japanese knockweed and they'll say, you know, these are terrible, they're they're foreigners, they're invasive, and you know, but they're also, you know, they're really healthy if you eat them. We're surrounded by seeds that have already adapted to live with us and they're actually already kind of living in the future because cities are hotter and they're more polluted and they're more fragmented and these are the plants that can deal with that. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I'd love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. For those of you with kids at home, I'd like to be so bold as to suggest you check out my other podcast, Along with my co-host, Hannah Forden, the program manager at HRN, we've created Time for Lunch, a fun, food-focused show for kids. We'd love it if you'd check it out wherever you get your podcasts. I'd like to remind listeners that Heritage Radio is a nonprofit, and we need your help to stay on the air. If you enjoy this show and listen to the other great podcasts we produce every week, please find your way to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make your gift. Today's theme, be excellent to each other. I've talked a lot about bees and pollinators on this show, as well as on Time for Lunch. Bees are amazing. They pollinate flowers and trees, making the variety of foods we love available and helping plants survive. And as humans, we've figured out how to work with and collaborate with honeybees. Honey is amazing stuff. It's good for you, it's delicious, antibacterial, and more. My guest today is Ted Dennard, the founder of the Savannah Bee Company, where they make and sell a huge variety of honey and bee-related products. They also contribute to a number of initiatives aimed at expanding bees and bee knowledge around the world. Their nonprofit, The Bee Cause, helps schools and educators access hives and places observation hives in schools all across North America. They started the Exuma Project in 2014 to bring bees to Exuma Island in the Bahamas where there weren't any honeybees. 
The project started small and has expanded now to get more and more people keeping honeybees and producing honey on islands where there hadn't been any honeybees for many years. And they have a garden at their Wilmington Island, Georgia headquarters, where you can see the hives in action and visit Ted's latest obsession, the Bee Therapy Hut. So get down there and book a half hour to hang out in the hut and get closer to the bees. What I often used to say to people on this show was, you know, when you sit down next to someone on a plane and you get to chatting before you take off in case it's the last person you ever speak to, how do you introduce yourself? <laughs> yeah, how do I? I, I I'm, hey, I'm Ted. I'm from Savannah. Uh, that's, that is exactly what I would say. <laughs> um, but, but officially, I'm Ted Dennard, and I'm the founder of Savannah Bee Company, and we are operating in, out of Savannah, Georgia. Cool. And we and we sell honey and and beehive beauty products and 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 honey wines and really kind of everything bees. Yeah, I was looking at your site and you guys have uh you know an incredible width and breadth of uh, of honey and bee related products. Um, let's let's jump in with how you got interested in bees. Uh, you know, what did, what was it for you? I've had other beekeepers on this show and everybody seems to have a very interesting story of how they got started. So what was it for you? So the, the yeah, the bee honeybee journey started when this old guy put bee hives on our, on our family property. And that was in 79. I was, I guess, 13 back then. And, uh, I just enjoyed what I really loved was honey. I mean, I got I got kind of enthralled with the color of honey, the different taste, depending like so when you held it up against the sun, you can literally see it like stained glass. And just two days ago, we were doing this and the, somebody was, who works for me is like, what is that? Like pointing to a darker section of the comb and it's like, oh, that's a different type of honey. And so I was fascinated by that. You poke your finger in it and break the cappings and taste it and it's completely different than the lighter colored stuff. So that was what hooked me in the beginning. And, and then it's been a 42 year long, <laughs> uh, let's say stair step down into the rabbit hole of honeybees with every single new bee fact, new interaction with bees. It is, it's, uh, it's incredible. Literally, I'm still learning. I, we picked up some bees in Florida, Melanie and I did, and on on Friday, and I learned a lot from this beekeeper who hasn't kept bees for as long as I have, but he he was teaching me stuff. I mean, you just never stop learning. Yeah, it's, I saw uh, the video of that on Instagram. It was so cool. You guys captured a couple of bees just being born out of the brood. Right? Isn't that? I mean, it is. It, it, it is. It's incredible to be a beekeeper. Is kind of the luckiest thing ever. Um, it gives you a window into this world that you have no idea is going on. And then once you understand it, this poetic kind of dance relationship between bees and the flowering plant world. And it's, yeah, you just, like I said, you just keep getting deeper and deeper. Um, you kind of, it's almost like being in love. Um, it's very much like being in love actually. And, and yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm in love with bees. What a cool comparison. Uh, bees, I mean, are, are such fascinating. Uh, it's a fascinating animal. They have a fascinating story. They do an incredible, you know, a service for the earth that we, you know, that, that without them, I mean, there would be no us, there would be no agriculture, there'd be no nothing, right? Well, it would certainly be a much 
more bland world. There, uh, you know, pre-pollinators, I would say there are, um, you know, everything would have been wind pollinated like and and a conifer right you just didn't even have flowers then you got some beetles hanging around and then they were pollinating i guess the few flowering plants which i think magnolias are one of the real ancient ones um and then you started getting well i'm gonna say bees but some bee-like pollinator i've got a long story when we don't have enough time for that where wasps became bees and anyway um and it's kind of like going vegetarian in a way but it and it was it's an altruistic path so anyway the the flowering plant world really is here in this only because of this relationship with pollinators so my focus is honeybees there are of course other pollinators but i believe it's around 80 percent of all pollination is done by insects so it's it's a lot and, and so i would say the human consumption of food on the planet, you know, from pollination is very small percentage wise compared to like what, you know, the animals and birds and everything that eats the, the fruits, nuts, berries, all that that are pollinated by insects and, and especially bees. The, the cool thing about honeybees is, is they live in these super colonies, right? And it's, it's a super organism. There's eight, there's up to 80,000 workers, all female going to work, you know, every day with lots of focus. They go to one species of flower at a time, so they're doing tremendous amounts of cross-pollination. But what that adds up to over the course of a year is 500 million, more than 500 million flower visits per beehive. So if you multiply every beehive on Earth times 500 million, you get a pretty big number. And and so it's 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 yeah, it's mind blowing. Yeah, um, it's, what it's... they do staggering so you mentioned the different color and that you were first kind of enamored of the color of the honey and that you see different color in a single frame but that the bees only visit one type of flower at a time can you explain that a little bit better so i mean one of the things you know listeners and, and that i'm aware of is you know you get these different kinds of honey right people have clover honey or uh or tupelo honey or um you know all these different varieties, but how exactly does that work if you're a beekeeper? So to make a single flower honey is a little art, a little science. And what you are using is the honeybees flower fidelity. So honeybees have what, what people have called flower fidelity, which means they go to, they determine what is the best source of nectar we're back to our being in, in love analogy, but um, this one's a little more ephemeral. And um, so whatever is the best source of nectar, is, you know, and, and I don't know how they determine it, but what they do, that's the one they're going to go to. And they only go to that species. So if it's the clover, they're going to go out there and they're going to hit all the clover flowers. And let's say, and I really can't remember the exact number, but let's say they visit 50 flowers on one flight. So they're going to go to 50 clover flowers and then come back with a belly full of nectar. Actually, it's called a honey stomach. It's pre-real stomach. But um, they come back with that. They, they put it in the cell. They're not going to mix it in the cell with another type of honey. So let's, um, So that's really how you do it, right? So And then that's, the bees are doing it that way. The beekeeper has to take his or her beehives 
to a like a field or a forest of flowers because it takes two million flowers to make one pound of honey. So if you're going to make 50 pounds of tupelo honey or clover honey or orange blossom honey, you need a hell of a lot of flowers, right? So we're not talking about like one tree or a little flower plot or garden plot. So, so yeah, you need a forest. So the beekeeper has to take them out there, put the beehives that let's say it's Tupelo, put them in this Tupelo forest. Um, as soon as the nectar from the Tupelo tree is what the bees are bringing back and you can taste it, you take all your honey boxes off and then you put empty honey boxes on. And then that's what they're going to fill with the Tupelo honey. And then as soon as they stop bringing in the Tupelo nectar, you pull those honey boxes off and then you make sure that you just extract those boxes um, so that you can get the purest Tupelo honey. Got That's it. how you do it. Got it. Do you and have it, a specific varietal that you look forward to every year? Well, I was just talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love Tupelo honey. It, there's something just buttery and del bubble gummy delicious about it. Um, it's got a really soft sweet. I believe it's got uh, all honey has a different sugar composition, so different color, different taste, but also a different sugar composition, and almost no one knows that. Um, but something like Tupelo honey uh, will never granulate. It doesn't spike your glycemic index. Um, it's like real, it's slowly assimilated into your system. The sweet is a much soft, softer kind of sweet. It's not so candy sweet like an orange blossom honey. So, um, yeah, I really like that style of honey. So. Typically, you could say that the, the the trees, the big trees, have um, a type of sugar composition that is really slow to granulate. And the little ground flowers, like the clover and, and stuff, those are going to be more apt to granulate quickly. So that's kind of a general rule. Got it. Yeah. And, and one of the things, as I started to learn more about honey um, and sort of taste different varietals that really blew me away. I mean, as a kid, I remember visiting an apple orchard near us that had an observation hive, and that was really cool to see. Um, but honey kind of was just a, a singular thing in my household, right? Like sometimes you put maple syrup on things, sometimes you put honey on things, and it wasn't about these different varietals. But as I started to taste it, it became incredible to understand that there are these different flavors. Like buckwheat honey, I find to be almost like savory. I mean, it's like almost wow. like, not quite like salty, but I, every time I've had buckwheat honey, I feel like it's very dark and it's very different than say a clover honey or anything like that. Let so, me it's very different. So, and there's a couple different types of buckwheat and there's one, I, and I really, you know, there's a lot to know and I certainly don't know everything, but there's sort of a buckwheat buckwheat that smells like a horse's stall. Yep. And then there is the, what they, what I know of is California buckwheat and it's a little bit lighter and it's not so pungent. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I was talking definitely about the one that smells kind of like a horse's stall. Uh, it has a very intense honey. Um, you know, it almost feels medicinal, I guess, for lack right. of a better way to describe it, is how I would uh, describe it. But it, you know, but it all comes from this singular process, which is so interesting. So in so you um, when you started uh, becoming interested in bees and in the hives, were you just making honey and keeping honey and keeping bees for yourself. Um, how did you transition into commerce with it? That is a good So, right. So as those uh, further down the, 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 the steps I went, so I went to college and ended up renting uh, an old cabin from this, this beekeeper 
that had a big vineyard and we made mead and, and we made honey and, uh, we, and we made wine. Um, and then I joined the U.S. Peace Corps and was sent to Jamaica for two years and they wanted me to teach beekeeping. So I worked with over 100 beekeepers in Jamaica and taught beekeeping in schools. And and that's where I really, really learned uh, beekeeping and um, and like the art of beekeeping. And I saw so many different styles and um, and that was just, a you know, all all the way in um, into beekeeping, which is which is I think I saw so I graduated from love of honey to kind of love of the bees kind of fascination with bees to then all of a sudden the art of beekeeping which is kind of like a zen practice in a way never did i want to make commerce from bees i kind of felt like that would just be wrong and yet i did so um in the late 90s i moved to savannah and i had some debt and i was wondering why i didn't have a job a career and you know i'd studied philosophy or religion and um and but i had five beehives and I, I started selling some honey to one one store and then other stores started calling me and asking to carry the honey and so kind of just over the course of three or four years was just kind of word of mouth like that and um and it was very much a side job i didn't even have a price sheet and then in 2002 i had print i printed a price sheet and went to this wholesale trade show up in atlanta and and, you know, I actually had an observation hive. I had my beeswax candles, my beeswax lip balms, my Tupelo and sourwood honey and my honeycomb. Those were my products. And and we and that was that was the beginning of kind of like doing it like a business, um, if you could call it that. My bees got out during the show. It was kind of a <laughs> I'd never be invited back. I thought that anybody that bought the honey, I was really embarrassed to sell it, that they would never, you know, like, oh, my God, I felt like I was tricking them, that they'd never be able to sell it. And, you know, um, yeah, it was it was hard for me. And and yet I went the next year and they let me back in and the people came back and they bought more. Did they let you and, bring back the observation hive or no? I did not bring the <laughs> observation hive back. <laughs> I definitely didn't. Um, but uh, and that's how it happened, man. That was so in the last nearly 20 years, it's been quite the roller coaster of up and down and growth. And we opened uh, retail stores in 2008, well, one store, but we now have 15. Uh, and they're all Savannah Bee Company stores selling honey and honey products, kind of like what you saw on our website. And um, and the, with the addition of mead, the honey wine, so we have a bar in the stores where you can go do a tasting and you taste six different types of mead. And it's uh, it's really experiential and educational. Um, and and that's the other thing, which I haven't touched on. I don't mean to be blabbing on forever. But what I really like is, of course, I like the business to be successful. But what I really like is teaching people about bees and, and honey and mead and just experience kind of exposing them to this wonder of the honeybees uh and and then in so doing i feel like that's going to help them want to protect them and then you know it's kind of win 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 right the environment wins the bees win we win the consumer wins like um it's just it, it's a feel-good business i'll say that yeah i was struck that on your site it says all savannah bee purchases contribute to actively saving bees and we strive to live as bees live 
Um, so can you talk a little bit about like what do we as the public need to be doing to be saving the bees and what are the threats yeah, what, that, I mean, what? you know, that the bees are facing? Uh, well, ultimately, there's a, let's just say there's a lot of us on this planet that need to eat. So we are dependent on bees. Uh, and really, bees are kind of like the canary in the coal mine, right? So they're going to do a couple things. One, let you know what's going on with pollinators, because we have people that are actively working with bees, unlike all these other insects. Just there's 25,000 species of bees. Only like five or so make honey, a surplus of honey. So, but they're all pollinators. But we have no idea the health of, of all of these other ones, right? We only really know the ones that we're in every day. So, so really, they're a great indicator of what's going on out there with all pollinators. Um, and then ultimately, the pollen, you know, what's going on with the earth. So what can we do? We can um, love your pollinators. And so that would what that looks like is, I, you know, less or no pesticides, insecticides. Um, finding a, a real balance. Um, and look, I hate mosquitoes as much as anyone does. And, and, but yet I don't want them spraying from the sky from a helicopter, this, this poison, which is what they do here in Savannah. Um, right. I don't want it for us or my kids, but certainly not for the bees because it really hurts them. So we can be a little cleaner in how we garden and how we treat our lawns and, um, and then kind of in what we choose to eat as far as, you know, less pesticides, the better. Um, so so that's one thing we can also that's kind of a, what we can not do or focus on. But we can also plant a lot more flowers. We kind of, we used to have a sign out front that said grow, don't mow. And we had it looked like a weed. It was a weed garden, but it flowers and the bees and, and butterflies were all over it. I mean, it was really cool. But it looked like some, you know, vacant lot just full of little weeds, but it, but they were flowering weeds um, and most of them are. So what that does is add a diversity of flora out there. And just like vegetables, bees, the bees only eat honey and pollen. And so the honey they make from the nectar they collect, um, which is a watery, sugary water that the flower offer, offers the pollinator um, in payment for the cross pollination, the pollen that they're picking up is their their protein it's more protein than meat percentage wise um, every vitamin mineral mineral amino acid and trace element that the bees need to survive and pretty much humans do but uh so you know they like you know like we need a, a whole diversity of vegetables like different color vegetables you know is what people advise you to eat to be healthy bees need that too they can't just have one you know a monofloral species of, of pollen or else you know it'd be like us just eating carrots you know and ultimately it too much of a good thing is is not good right when i was a kid uh, my mom had a friend who only ate carrots for like two weeks and he turned orange yeah you turn orange, you get <laughs> like vitamin a poison. yeah it ended up right? not being good for him yeah you talk about uh about you know grow not mow and this past summer on our lawn uh you know i mowed part of it because the kids wanted a place to play but then i left these little islands um and just let it grow whatever was going to grow there and it was really fun to see like what plants appeared and they were like these little bee islands in the lawn. So like there was room to, you know, kick a ball around, but then there was like a, you know, four foot, you know, diameter circle, a couple of them in different places. And just, I let whatever was going to grow, grow. 
And then you see like butterflies coming and, and bee, big bumblebees landing and it, it's, it's great, right? And so, and you know, look, like I said, you know, I like all the biting, stinging insects, but those are certainly a tiny percentage of them out there. I, I, I tell the story, I was in, in Crete in, in Greece one time thinking it was going to be some landscape that had been lived on for, you know, millennia. Like, how could it, it would be just denuded and like void of life? It was the richest I've ever, I mean, it was incredible. And the insects were just like clouds of them, but really no mosquitoes. No, I mean, they, they found a balance where I guess the beneficial insects kind of took care of the, the bad guys. And, um, it, that's what, I mean, that's like the dream world. If I could like paint some vision of the future, we'd have just thriving, you know, healthy populations of insects that, you know, took care of the, of the bad ones where we all just live together in, in harmony. <laughs> it sounds so Pollyanna, but I'm telling you, I've seen it and I, I think we can at least approach it. That's, that would be, That'd be a look. We we could do a lot worse than than some than try to do that. Right. We got to have something to strive for, right? Right. <laughs> My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a cheese landian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to Cheeselandia.com. Are you longing for a trip to Mexico? Do you want to taste mezcal straight out of a wood-fired clay pot still at a palenque in Puebla? Well, we can't help you with that, but we can offer the next best thing, agave road trip in a box. This set of 10 samples of rare heritage agave spirits will transport your heart with the warmth of liquid Mexico. Get your set at agavefestival.org and then join agave road trip podcast co-host Chava and me, Lou, for an online tasting agavefestival.org is the break you've been looking for, or as close as you're going to get. Do you have any lessons, like life lessons, that you feel like you've learned from observing the bees and how they interact with one another? Absolutely. So stop me in 30 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> there is. Uh... So look, the, the, the number one thing is, this symbiotic relationship they that they have with the flowering plant. So it's this this mutually beneficial way of living in the world where they're benefiting by getting the nectar and the pollen, but at the same time they're benefiting the flowers, right? That they're taking it from. So it's this give and take that is so beautiful. They've supported each other for, you know, not just millennia, but like for, you know, tens of millions of years, right? They've co-evolved together. They've out-survived, you know, glacial, glaciation and asteroid impacts. And, you know, and, you know, T-Rex didn't make it, but little sweet honeybees did. 
um, and because they rely on each other, right? Uh, so that's a big lesson to like just try and live as symbiotically as you can. It's mutually beneficial. And that's kind of the way we try and model our, our business, right? Where everybody wins. Um, that's one one lesson. Um, there's a there's so many more there. So that's the symbiotic one, symbiosis. Then there is the way that that they work together, right? And and there can be multiple races of bees in one beehive. So you have Carniolans and Italians and you know this, you know, there can be lots of them. Um the queen mates only one time, but she mates with up to, you know, well, we just learned over this week, um, 30 to 50 drones. Um, and then she never mates again, but she she is fertilizing her eggs um, one at a time as she lays them. And, you know, so some you get a little Italian here, a little carnial in there. We getting too, too colorful. Um, but, um, <laughs> but, hey, but, um, but they all live together in harmony. The point is you've got all these races living together. They're all really focused on something that's that's positive um, there and and they get along, right? I mean, then they do amazing things like visit by over 500 million flowers and make the world go round. Um, so yes, that is working together with people, understanding that look, we all have a common purpose, right? And so, just collect that collection of nectar for the survival survival of the species is is you know that's an honorable one as well. Um, there's business models too. I've learned so much about business from honeybees. Like um, people would be like, "Man, you got to be careful. You can grow yourself out of business." And I'd be like, "What are they talking about? I want as much sales as I can get. That doesn't even make any sense." Um, but it does. And the way I saw that was I had a hive that built up really quickly. It was super strong. I was like, oh my God, this is gonna make all the, so much Tupelo honey. I took them to the river. There's only one, so yeah, there's only one crop over there, which is the Tupelo. Um, and then it was about to bloom and we got a cold snap. And so it didn't bloom. What happened is the strong populations of bees that had grown really strong um, didn't, they ate all the honey all their reservoir their their reserves they ate all the honey and the weak hives didn't eat all their honey because they didn't have such a big population um and sure enough those strong hives grew themselves out of business and it, the saddest one of the saddest things i came to check on them and all they were all dead um and had starved to death right because they um you know, so that's a big cash flow lesson for for business. That was my business one hundred and one cash flow <laughs> lesson. Like, oh, oh, I get it now. <laughs> you really can grow yourself out of business. Uh, Where does the honey come from uh, for your products now? Do you guys keep all of your own hives for the products? No, no, not so, not at all. So, probably fifteen years ago, I transitioned. Um, you know, over time to relying solely on outside beekeepers. So so just for the making of the Tupelo honey, there are 45 beekeepers that I know and that make Tupelo honey. And in some years I get that many samples. I mean, some years we don't, but, uh, but that's, so yeah, I have a deep network of beekeepers. I mean, literally, so for, for the types of honey we sell, uh, we have a, a really, 
pretty broad net. Um, the good news is it allows us to really cherry pick the best quality. Um, and it's not the fault of the beekeeper necessarily. It could be the weather for in this region that just didn't cooperate. Um, you know, that flower is only open for, let's say, 10 days max. Um, and if you get wind or rain, which we've had tons of all of that um, over the last decade, yeah, it can mess up your 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 honey. Um, so, yeah, we get the good stuff. Um, well, so it's it, sort of like you guys are the hive and the beekeepers are the bees and they're bringing it back in the nectar. Yeah. In this case, it's the honey that they're bringing to you, right? We're determining the best <laughs> source of, yeah, nectar slash honey. That is true. Like I'm sort of like your sommelier or your curator for your, for your honey, right? So it's kind of, I'm filtering out the bad stuff and just keeping the good um, and letting you, letting you in on it. So that is a good way of putting it. So the the bees that you were picking up in Florida, if I read if I remember correctly from the Instagram, were for uh, they were for your bee therapy hut. Is that right? Yes, the coolest thing ever. Right, we haven't monetized it or figured out how to market it, um, and I don't care because it's the greatest place ever. So um, I learned from this beekeeping workshop over in the Ukraine um, in 2013 about these bee therapy houses. And they use them to treat all kinds of illness and disease. And, and apparently the air from beehives is supposed to be very beneficial. So I came back and we built this bee therapy house. We have four beehives um, that, and the bee, they're kind of in the back, right? And you access the hives from the back and the bees come and go from, from, this, from entrances in the back. But where you walk in to the hut, you walk in through a front door the bees are contained in a sort of like a bench box in the back um, with screen so that the bees can't come up into the bee therapy, into the house, let's say. But the smells and sounds and you can see them um, are all just right there. And you sit just right on top of these hives and breathe in the air and, and smell them and listen to them and feel them. Oh, um, it sounds amazing. I go in there and try and meditate and then I, I just lay down and fall asleep and have the most incredible nap oh, I <laughs> um, <laughs> and so so that that's one thing there's there's a german uh company now that's just taking this and they're creating a, a a cover that goes on top of the beehive with um kind of like a like a hpap thing you know um that people use for sleep apnea but um but anyway they have a medical fan and and hose and face mask and they sell these things for people to do, to do breathing treatments. Um, and the, the uh, apparently it is, you know, the medical trials and all that, it's statistically significant, the results for ADHD, migraines, skin disorders, which is baffles me, asthma and allergies, which you would think about. Um, and I'm, I might be missing something, but anyway, I, that's like, I think like medical science, but I think that it's just really good for you. Just your, your energy, right? If, if all matter is energy, then bees have a really cool one and good one and um, calming one. Um, and so, yeah, sitting in there with them inside all that, breathing that air with that, it just, it somehow really just puts you in the right mood. Um, for instance, so bee beekeepers are supposed to live longer than than any other profession, um, and they they attribute that to the raw honey and pollens that they eat. But I think it's also like 
breathing that air, like being with the bees, kind of that, that calming effect they have. So sure. Right. Lowers your stress. Yeah. It is so amazing. I'm telling you, if you want something that is, you can't get anywhere else. Um, well, unless you get to Russia, um, you, yeah, come here in about six weeks. Cause that it'll be like heaven. So this something about the spring, beehive the the smells i guess it's the population growing and then the fresh nectar and the beeswax all of those little volatiles are in the air and it just it literally it's it makes your it makes my heart beat fast like it's it smells like kind of yeasty bread rising baking like all at the same time and it just there's something about it it's really really good um so yes that's a great experience all of the hives that we have now, we do make honey, um, but that's kind of like a, um, you know, that's just byproduct of our education. So we do bee, th- we be, we do these tours, like they're educational bee garden tours, is what we call them. So we have a flowering bee garden, and then we take pe- groups of people back there and put veils on and light the smoker and open up the tops and pull frames of honey out, let them poke their finger in and look at it against the sun, kind of like how I did and and taste that warm fresh honey and see that bees are not mean and and just you know hold handfuls of bees even that's great i Uh, gotta get down to savannah (laughs) yeah you do man i'm telling you you should come visit Um, i was also looking i mean you guys do a lot of other projects you have the bee cause project um installing observational hives and i you know i mentioned it earlier but like as a kid when we would go to the orchard that had this observational hive, I would stand there. I mean, my mom would have to like yank me away because I would just be looking at the observational hive for like an hour while she was shopping for apples and stuff. Right. No, I totally, I believe me. I heard you say that. Um, and that I know. So yeah, when we say we're, you're, you're helping us save the bees or whatever, we're, we mean it. Right. So, uh, so we we have over 600 schools with that not-for-profit that have these ed- educational beehives in them. And they're across all 50 states, all Canadian provinces, Haiti, Puerto Rico, and the Bahamas. Um, and so that's an amazing, amazing project, right? So so I love, love that. And, and that is kind of our attempt to raise a generation that understands, loves, and will protect the honeybee. So that's one way. Um, that we're that we're doing our part and and the people that support us and buying our products are that's 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 how we're able to do this kind of stuff um i mean we have other cool projects too (laughs) Um, yeah i was looking at the one in the bahamas so tell me a little bit more about that from my from my brief looking at it on the island of exuma there were no bees yes this is and look and i was in the peace corps Spending two years of my life, right? I mean, really trying to make a difference and help. And and I honestly am not sure what's left over, right? But th- this particular project is unbelievable, right? So unrelated to my Peace Corps, right? But we went down there. This was in 2014. There were no bees. So we trained some beekeepers, went back again, trained beekeepers looked for honeybees for a year. So 2015, we took beehive, like we took these packages. Bees come with about 15,000 worker bees and a queen. And you put those in the boxes and frames that they had built. Um, We took 12 of these down there. From those 12, 
they have expanded and grown to probably 200, 150, 200 beehives, um, maybe more. And there's there's at least 15 beekeepers and their ages are probably 15 to 75 years old. And there, I've seen four different honey labels all lined up from different beekeepers that are selling their honey. I mean, it's it's an incredibly su- successful project, right? I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Um, like you couldn't have mapped it out to be any any better than that. So yeah, that one. And I'm not taking all the credit for that either. There's been uh, you know so much help. Um, one, the dedication of the people to stick with it. Um, two, there was a woman, Catherine Booker, who kind of served as the glue that helped everybody, um, you know, kind of navigate, bringing in, you know, the woodenware, which is the frames and boxes that you that you get and just stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, a great, great success story. From there, they're actually giving or selling beehives some, to some other little islands that don't have bees. Oh, so. wow a great story that's really cool so i wanted to ask about your kids are they interested in bees too they are i think they are yeah so i have two um two girls and two boys the girls are older and and they have you know they've extracted honey and um and they understand honey uh, and have worked in my stores and and helped out the boys get into the bees way more so they'll help in the beehives and um and and like hold big hands full of bees and and they really and like they like puffing the smoker and things like that so they're interested um so i have the two boys there's one that's 13 he likes kind of the bees and working the 14 year old the 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 bee company is his fallback you know if he doesn't get some you know professional sports career sure he'll fall back on the the b company (laughs) he's very bossy man he tells me what i'm doing right and wrong mostly wrong so i wanted to to touch on the different uh the different types of products and kind of usage i mean do you are you surrounded by like are you eating honey with every meal and propolis and lighting candles like how much bee product is in your life on a daily basis you know Probably, yeah, in many respects, maybe less because maybe more than you think. Um, well, so I just put some honey on a cut on my foot before I put my sock on just a little while ago. This is a honey from Italy, this Italian beekeeper that I know that makes the best sparkling mead. I mean, he makes like old champagne method, uh, but he makes he he hikes up into the the Italian mountains and takes the tip of this fir tree that the, the um, like the last you know two inches of, but it's fresh growth he puts it in this acacia honey and it's it's like medicinal and it is so damn good um but but so yeah i put that on my foot <laughs> i mean usually you eat it but i i put it on my foot honey's great for cuts um i have a honey hot sauce that we're about to come out with i put that on all my food um i've had two cups of tea with with milk in this this 2013 kind of private stock reserve to below honey um and what else have i had today oh i've had a spoon of this bee pollen propolis honey tonic that i make for my friends and family and um so i think that's what i've had today 
And it's not even noon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I was going to ask if there are ways like, you know. Oh, honey shampoo. Oh. I had a honey shampoo and honey conditioner <laughs> <laughs> that we don't sell anymore, but I have some. It's actually the last bottles. Uh, but anyway, sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. I, w- I was going to say that um, one of the things I love about interviewing people is finding out sort of new ideas and things that I can incorporate into into my life or things that listeners can incorporate. So that was, you know, that was really great to hear. I wanted to know if there uh, is a, like, if you have a favorite way to use honey in the kitchen, whether that's in a recipe or by itself, or like if you, ha- if you have a way that you just find to be the absolute best that you think more people should be doing. That is okay. A great question. Most people think, you know, what do you do with honey and you make tea? So honestly, that is typically, that's how I eat the most honey, but I do eat a lot of honey, probably a five pound jug about every 30 days, probably Um, maybe, maybe 45 days. Um, So I eat a lot of honey. A lot of that goes in tea, like strong black tea with some milk and honey. Um, But yeah, then what else do I do? So I I have a honeycomb sitting there on my counter. I just finished off a big thing of almonds there. I was just scraping the honey out, the honeycomb out with an almond. Like it's like, it's kind of like a spoon. You get a little, little sticky doing it, but um, it is so good and healthy. So I've been doing that. Um, I would say one of the greatest recipes that that people don't know about that they should is take a like a measuring cup, a glass measuring cup, Pyrex measuring cup, put it on like a low, low heat, pour some olive oil in there. And I don't measure anything. Just pour some olive oil in there and then take a big spoon of um, and, you know, like a inch maybe of olive oil, put a big, big spoon of Dijon mustard in there. And then pour like a spoon or two of honey in there. And then you just kind of whisk it. And it, as it warms up, it'll all emulsify into a glaze. Like you're, you're mixing it, you're like, hey, nothing's happening. It's real liquid. And then all of a sudden, it's just thick and you're str- it's drawing streaks through it. And it's like a, you know, homogenized little glaze. You can use, you could just like roll your lamb or your whatever in there put it on the grill with some rosemary on top you can add vinegar and soy or lemon and you know some acidic things um and make i make a barbecue sauce i, I soak salmon in it as well before oh, i put it on so the grill good. it is so good um but you but it, it's like a great you can yeah you can do it as a marinade you can make it can be the beginning of a of a sauce, like a barbecue sauce, you'd be, yeah, whatever you want. But that's kind of like a built, an easy start that's kind of makes whatever you're making good. And then, yeah, it's lots of creativity. You can throw anything in that glaze. Um, you know, we, I've done what, like rice wine vinegar and um, and made it kind of extra sweet and put it on duck as like an after grilling thing. Um, yeah. It's you can't mess it up. Um, <laughs> awesome. And one of the things that I always tell people to do with honey is to is to eat it with cheese. I feel like honey you know is I a did that last night too. Great, um, great friend of cheese. Absolutely. So we have so we sell the mo- we sell so much honeycomb you just can't even imagine like incredible like I don't even know maybe tons tens dozens of tons of honeycomb um, and 
and that the most of that is probably eating eaten on cheese trays like with cheese right so charcuterie board cheeses honeycomb gotta have it um we also have a honey we literally have a label that says honey for cheese um and you just it's a honey that we've picked out it's actually a yellow star thistle honey um that is just so damn good with cheese um and again you just got to try a lot and to figure that out but we've done that for you um but yeah it's, it's one of our number one seller it's in our top 10 let's say that and out of 135 SKUs or you know things we sell that we wholesale that's in the top 10 so yeah very good with cheese love your bees in summary love your bees because they love you too um they uh yeah and do and do what you can to protect them right so just be if you're going to use pesticides read the label and follow the instructions um yeah try and be as green as you can plant lots of flowers um you can even put a bowl of water out for them but you want to put rocks in it like uh you can look online how to keep, make a little water source for bees in the summertime um and then yeah i think study them and you will be amazed at, at how how interesting they are i mean and everybody has i mean back from hippocrates using um honey as in his all of his medicines like over one third of you know the father of modern medicine like 2500 years ago um used honey in, in most of his prescriptions so uh uh it's just yeah the more you learn so learn just look start digging start scratching to learn a little bit about bees um and then through that journey of discovery you will find like the richest a part of life like i think we started our conversation before recording of talking about noticing flowers and blooms once you understand what bees are doing um you see the world in a different way and it's an enriching way so um so yeah just um and that begins just by just a little bit of learning standing at that observation hide, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Ted. It's been a real pleasure to chat today. Anytime. Yeah, come come down. We'd, we'd love to have you. Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. Check out Savannah Bee Company and all the products and work they do at savannahbee.com. You can follow them on Instagram at Co and find them on Facebook at Savannah Bee Company. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please reach out if you have any questions. You can find me on email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram, at thefoodballer. Feast Your Ears is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you, For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter and to your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.